Welcome to the Deep Blue On My Doorstep podcast. I'm Tracy Ainsworth from the University of New South Wales. In this podcast series, we will talk to marine experts about the marine environments that we have right on our doorsteps and what we can do to help conserve and protect these blue spaces. Uh, Welcome to the Deep Blue On My Doorstep podcast. Uh, Today we head overseas again, and this time we're talking to Dr. Ty Roach, who is a marine scientist. He lives in Hawaii's North Shore, works at the Hawaii Institute for Marine Biology, and uh, his talents cover from marine science all the way through to physics. But interestingly, Ty also started his marine science career while surfing professionally and was also um, a state champion wrestler. Um, So you've got a really um, interesting background, Ty, and thanks for coming to talk to us on the Deep Blue On My Doorstep podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. One of the first things people must always ask you about is balancing your academic training and interests with your sporting life because you you come from this really high-achieving sporting life in in both wrestling and in surfing. Um, How has that influenced how you look at the marine environment in your science career, particularly from your professional surfing career? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think surfing is kind of where it all started for me. Um, my love of marine biology um, or just the marine systems, yeah. not even biology. Um, and I think that's a big reason that I'm still really interested in physics is, you know, it, it's all waves um, at kind of every level. Um, yeah. And so that's been something that's, you know, yeah, definitely kind of driven me throughout my science career. It's like if I can do marine biology, then hopefully I can stay close to the ocean and score some wave time. Yeah, you know? um, I um I like that you you bring up the the physics parallel to your professional surfing life and your surfing interests and also your research. In one of your articles, you write the output the power output of an ecosystem is an indicator of the the state of that ecosystem, of how um, how healthy it is. So you do a lot of research in um, thermodynamics, heat movement. It's a different kind of um, it's different kind of power, but it's an interesting synergy with the other part of your life. Has, has is that something that really influences you? Is that the power that's in nature? <laughs> yeah, I, I I would say that kind of my main inspiration for all of the things I've chosen have been kind of just, yeah, that power and awesomeness that's in nature. Um, but yeah, I've, uh, yeah, actually power has been a, a main area of a lot of my research, kind of this energy use per time and how fast you do things versus how efficiently or how well you do them. Um, which is, you know, kind of such a metaphor. It gets so deep, so quick, you know, it's such a mm-hmm. metaphor for life, right? Uh, you know, haste makes waste a little bit. Um, and it's true in a physical sense and for, yeah, all the things I've kind of gone after. Um, but we see it a lot in the bacteria, that's for sure. Um, the faster they go, the sloppier they are, the fatter they get, um, which has, yeah, been interesting. Because your research tie looks at that war going on between algae and corals when reefs start to degrade, and that, that's what you're talking about with with the power that bacteria carry in in how they can help degrade coral reef ecosystems, uh, that's really interesting to go so um, such a small scale to look at how reefs degrade. Is there a particular system that really opened your eyes to degradation on coral reefs? 
Yeah. So one of the, the first field trips I ever did, which was, it spoiled me so bad for field work. I actually, um, I went and worked on this boat called the plan B. Um, this guy, Ted Waite, who was the former owner of uh, gateway computers, he has this luxury yacht that he loans out to science. Apparently, um, I was fresh and new in the lab and knew almost nothing. And, uh, my boss at the time was supposed to go on this boat and they sent me. And so I ended up jumping on board. Um, it was, yeah, it was a, a very luxury science trip to say the least. Yeah. And, um, but while we were there, we circumnavigated the Island of Curacao. And, you know, one thing that you kind of quickly notice is that the reefs are degraded where there's development and the reefs are not degraded where there's not development. Um, the East point of that Island, right before you turn onto the North corner has, one of the most beautiful reef systems I've ever seen. It's a, it's a really unique reef system. It is, it is not these like, you know, colorful, hard corals everywhere. Um, But there's, there's sponges that are, I don't know how they're big enough. You can almost fit inside them. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, just seas of soft coral. And then these corals that you hear that are endangered of Acropora palmata and Acropora cervicornis, you know, these huge staghorn corals that are quote unquote endangered are just everywhere in the shallows here. Um, huge pillar corals, you know, so like I said, not only a, a thriving, healthy reef system, but super unique. I, have, I haven't yeah. seen anything really come close to it. And going from that point of that island down to where, you know, people live and you just see that degradation gradient, um, it becomes really obvious. But I will also say that some of the places that I would have kind of thought would be the worst somehow surprise you and still pull through and you know, actually come out with some really neat ecosystems at the end of the day. Do you think that's due to the awareness of people that live that close to the system, that where they are engaged and interested and and aware of what's happening underneath the the water that they can't really see, that they're more mindful and and careful about what they do? Um, I will say, uh, you know, I haven't been to that many island nations, but there are some that are, and there are some that aren't. Yeah. Um, there being in Hawaii has been really nice. I feel like the people there are pretty in tune with the reef systems. I think they have, you know, historical cultural practices um, concerning reef maintenance and and the kind of um, uh, you know ridge to reef yeah. ideas that really promote a, a healthy island, not just a healthy reef. You know, and it, it's I think it's a larger ecosystem, really. Um, and so that is really cool to see. And, and I think some island nations and coastal areas do a really good job at that. And it is ingrained in the culture. Um, and other areas you see that it's it's not. Yeah. That, you know, people are, it's kind of tragedy of the commons and people are just coming in and taking from the reef and taking from the island. And um, both people who are, you know, um, indigenous peoples that are there and as well as people coming in and taking, you know, resources from those places. Yeah. And um, a common denominator on those degraded systems where people are is is that emergence and takeover of algae. And once it's in, it's hard for corals to come back. Um, It's hard for things to shift back to the system that we we used to know, like you mentioned, Acropora palmata, which has been wiped out in in some reefs. Um, What... What kind of message then do we send people about, well, how do we, how do we get back? What can we do to those systems that are going down? And how does our research, I guess, inform better management and better engagement between people and reefs? Yeah, I mean, I, I think to answer the first part of that, um, you know, how do we get people to, to kind of do things and what do we do? 
I think it's, you have to educate people, you know, and, and I think our, our research forms of, you know, the fundamental foundation of what we use to go out and educate people. And, you know, I think that a lot of people just are unaware of what even impacts a reef. You know, I think telling some people that overfishing impacts a reef, um, although I think it seems trivial to most reef ecologists at this point, I think that's a novel insight for many people yeah. that, oh, I, I take fish off this reef and that somehow kills coral. Like, yeah. you know, the connection isn't blatantly obvious for everyone. So I think, um, you know, and little things, you know, you, we, I, uh, I think about nutrient runoff and it's like, well, duh, of course that's not good. Um, but I don't think that everyone thinks like that. So I think education and telling people what the kind of local stressors that they have control over, what those are, I think is very important. Yeah, and um, you mentioned nutrients, and some of your research has has looked at nutrients and that link between nutrients, microbes, coral loss and death. Um, in terms of understanding that you use, what I find really interesting about some of your work is that you use not just biology, but you use biology, chemistry and physics to kind of have that whole system view of what is happening on a coral reef. And, and that's really interesting because I think for most people listening and for students, they often get told pick one, you know, pick physics, pick chemistry, pick, pick biology and specialise in it. But you haven't done that and I think that's really, really quite cool. What do you think is the insight that having that knowledge across all those disciplines gives you when you go onto a reef? Yeah, so um, I think that I think it definitely makes a reef a lot more interesting to me, um, number one. I, I get to look at all the same things that everyone else does, but I'm definitely on a reef a lot of times swimming around thinking about light waves getting compressed and, you know, going through a photo system and what that actually means and where that electron goes. And um, I think oftentimes it's, it's kind of cool because I find myself thinking most deeply sometimes when I'm on the reef, um, especially if I'm out for kind of a, you know, if I'm a dive buddy on a working dive or something, and I'm just kind of sitting hovering above an area of reef for an hour yeah. Um, those have been some really good thought sessions. And I think that, you know, science in general, we see human medicine moving this way. We see a lot of ecology moving this way where everything is an ecosystem at every scale, right? It's yeah. just, you just keep it's system within system within system. And, and that kind of hierarchy that you see in all these systems is, I think the only way to really understand it and is to look at it holistically, um, you know, I, I think this concept of a holobiont is a uh, really important in yeah. in the sciences today. Um, and so, I, for anyone who's listening and may not be familiar, a holobiont is a assemblage of bacteria and viruses, um, fungus, anything that lives on or in a macroorganism. So, um, humans have a holobiont, corals have a holobiont, um, and I think recently, so this is a little bit of semantics, but I've been trying to start thinking about something that I've been calling a holome. Yeah. Um, with a W, so rather than an H. Um, and I think the difference being that this pushes it past what's alive. It's not just the bacteria and the things like that there. This is the biochemicals. These are the electrons. These are, this is the whole thing. The, the how the animal interacts with the environment because it's influenced by it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we're learning more and more that these little components that are either biochemicals or bacteria play a huge role in shaping how organisms and animals, you know, perform day-to-day -day functions and carry out life. Um, and the technology is getting to where we can look at all those little pieces now. 
We don't just have to pick one or the other. You can put them all together, which is really cool. And put them all together to to study something um, as as guess as fundamental as how coral and algae fight on a reef and, and how that interface with the environment and the, these different competitors works um, within a reef environment. Particularly if you, I like that idea that you have of the the holome. What was it you said? The holome. The holome. Holome. Yeah, because we're we're part of that on a reef, right? We're outside that influence. We can see ourselves as outside that influence of how coral and algae fight and how they're influenced by what happens in the water. But we're the ones that's influencing what's happening in the water to to push that that fight one direction or another. Yeah, that's I. You know, I think that's um. It wasn't until I went to Ruth Gates lab in Hawaii that I really started to, I guess, appreciate that, that because before I was just studying these coral and algae and was just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, I know so much about them and this is how they interact and this is how they compete. And, you know, I knew all these little details. But when I got to Ruth's lab, everyone there really has this notion that like, yeah, of course, it's it's mediated by microbes and it's mediated by chemistry and physics. But we have a lot to do with how that um, chemistry and physics proceeds and we can intervene in the, the microbiology and the chemistry and the physics at all these different levels, um, you know, and, and actually make a difference potentially, which uh, like I said, it was Ruth's lab really gave me that appreciation for that. You, you mentioned intervene um, in those interactions, which can seem hugely overwhelming when we talk about how connected everything is you know, and it's not just the animal there's the animal and its microbes and it's biochemistry which is an interface to the environment of, in which we interface as well and w- clearly everything shows that we we can influence what happens because we're influencing a lot of places in a bad way so how do we influence them in a good way um i mean i think number one is use common sense right <laughs> don't step on the reefs don't run your boat into the reefs I mean, you know, it, it's so sad <laughs> to see when you're out on, when you're out doing work and someone yeah. comes along pinballing between reefs because they have no idea where the channel is. Yeah, um, I know how long it takes for that coral to grow back after it's been pinballed. Probably don't jet ski in the reef either. <laughs> yeah, probably don't jet ski. On the reef. Yeah, yeah, don't jet ski on the reef. Don't stand on the reef. Don't yeah. run your boat into it. Um, don't drop anchor on it. Um, you know, and then of course, at a larger scale, I think that people who are making policy and management decisions should also use a bit of common sense. And <laughs> we know runoff is bad for yeah. not just the corals, for the whole system. Yeah. Um, whether it's nutrient or sedimentation, both of those are typically not good. Yep. Um, and bad for people who are using those places as well, who are swimming there, or diving, surfing. Yeah, we benefit. From yeah, I mean, I think most of it's generally kind of common knowledge of what good land use practices are and what good stewardship of a yeah. of um, okay. an environment looks like. But of course there, I mean, you know, we can talk about, there's tons of little things that people can do, um, you know, I guess that would affect, you know, those things. But a lot of them, I think the big things are just kind of common sense. And then of course there's all these kind of hidden effects of carbon usage and things like that, that I think, you know, we are becoming more conscious of um, quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes there's a, a thought that, um, or uh, this kind of reliance that technology can save 
everything and make it better and that there's there's things that we'll be able to do to just fix it um, and return systems to what what they used to be. I think we can to some degree um, do do certain kind of high technology interventions. What what do you think about that? Do you see um, do you see there's certain interventions that we can do even on a small scale that technology can help people with? Their... Um, I would I would like to say the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, I'm hopefully optimistic that that is the case. Um, although, I mean, we. I guess it, it really brings into question, like, what does restoring a reef mean? Yeah. Uh, that's a little bit um, kind of philosophical, but is is having a system that's exactly like it was 100 years ago probably will never happen again. Um, but I think we can have healthy, thriving ecosystems that are, um, you know, uh, they're doing a lot of photosynthesis. They're supporting a lot of biomass. There's a high diversity of things there all these kind of things that we think of as being a happy ecosystem, or at least I think of, um, you know, so I think that we can push systems back in that way, but I also think that we have to acknowledge that there's a hysteresis on the system. And if you totally screw it up, it's, it's going to never, it's going to be really hard to, to fix. To, yeah. To bring that back. So, um, getting in early and, and understanding change and recognizing it. Um, and that given that we can do so much negative, trying to to do a lot that's that's positive uh for for students out there listening or kids thinking about uh getting into marine science in the future you had a really interesting path into marine science um you've you've obviously been a surfer most of your life and and quite connected to the ocean um but it wasn't necessarily that you were going to always be a marine biologist right not at all. Um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I actually had no interest in science whatsoever. Um, my dad is a house painter and I was pretty sure I was going to take over the family business. Um, I was, uh, I, in high school, my main focus was wrestling. Um, and uh, yeah, some other focuses that probably weren't, uh, you know, quite as, quite as good for me either. Um, and I, you know, I, I actually did not a very good student throughout, uh, most of high school and whatnot. Um, but, uh, I did enough to get by and, um, I was really good at wrestling. So I got a wrestling scholarship. Um, and I actually didn't, I almost didn't take it. Um, I was still convinced that I really just wanted to go to, uh, go and paint and surf. Yeah. Um, what changed your mind? it became really clear that uh, not doing something different wasn't going to be as cool as I thought it was. Um, yeah. All my friends were leaving. Uh, yeah. You know, painting was after a little while, it was like, okay, maybe I don't love yeah. this as much as I thought I do. And I also realized that like, it was going to take something to be a professional surfer. It wasn't going to be like yeah. <laughs> easy. I mean, yeah, it's you know, hard. you don't just jump into it. Um, yeah. And so I wasn't really ready. And so, I realized that wrestling kind of gave me an opportunity. So I, I took it. Um, yeah. I can't say I did very well in college. I was, a uh, was pretty good in high school with top five in the country. And, yeah. uh, but once I got to college, I wasn't really that good, but it gave me that opportunity and got my foot in the door. Um, and I was wildly confused by the whole experience at first, um, started out as a, a linguistics major 
then transitioned to agriculture education. And then I think there was a brief moment in uh, where I thought about entomology. Um, And then I actually found botany was my my first real science love uh, plants. I just got so into them. And um, I had some friends who were doing medicinal plants research and kind of plant chemistry. And uh, so once I found that, I just jumped in headfirst into kind of life science and plant science. And um, I ended up getting three degrees in biology, botany, and chemistry and got a minor in genetics. Um, And it was really wrestling that I (laughs) made any of that happen. Yeah. Um, I like you said before you weren't, you just weren't ready. And I think that's just such a lovely message for kids out there thinking that they have to know somehow magically in their teenage years or late teens or early twenties, even that this is the thing I absolutely have to do and they have to follow it. I think it's really, um, lovely for them to be able to hear that it's okay not to be ready and not to know and to, to try lots of different things and find out, um, what you can work passionately about. And that's something Nathan said earlier as well, was talking about how to find what it is that, that speaks to you is what can you spend your time doing passionately, uh, is really important. I think that's a lovely message for kids to, to go and just spend their time in, in different experiences and find the thing that catches them. And I really like that you've, you got caught by, by wrestling, you got caught by pro surfing, and then you got caught by marine science. It's, um, it's a, it's just a really lovely, um, kind of synergy of, of, I guess what we were talking about earlier, power as well of, of understanding your own power and power of nature and, um, and following what you, what you love. Would you have any advice for kids out there who are trying to work out what they're going to do, what their big passion is going to be? Yeah. Stay in school and have big friends. (laughs) (laughs) Have big friends. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of how I lived my life. Um, Yeah. You know, have some, have some good people that got your back and uh, just, you know, keep doing what you're doing or whatever you're passionate in. Um, Yeah. I, I definitely think that for most people, for myself, definitely education was, uh, yeah, has really opened up so many pathways. I just, um, every step of the way, it kept getting cooler. I can't say I enjoyed early grades that much, but as I moved on college was, you know, a a once in a lifetime thing. Um, thankfully, I guess, but also it was really good. And grad school was some of the most opportunities I've ever had in my life. Um, so, you know, like I said, stay in school and have good people that got your back. I think that that makes a huge difference. Nice. Excellent. And we're really hoping that you come, once things open up again, that you come over and visit us here in Australia. Uh, what's what's on the hit list other than some really nice surf breaks? Yeah, so uh, I definitely like to, you know, think about the kind of stuff that's going on in the reef there. I'm, I'm relatively unfamiliar with the um, kind of Australian reef system. So I'm um, Actually, I have a big question right now in my head, kind of like, what makes a coral a coral? And it's becoming more and more apparent that corals aren't all the same um, and that ecosystems aren't all the same. And that I'm, you know, a lot of the things that I think of is kind of fundamental to how ecosystem processes work um, in the Caribbean. I'm finding right now are very different potentially in Hawaii and I would assume are potentially very different in these same reefs or in, in these Australian reefs. Yeah. Um, and the kind of Indo-Pacific. And uh, 
I hope that everything works the same because I think that makes our life a little easier. Yeah. But um, other than surfing, even though I think surfing's top of the hit list right now, if I head back to Australia, last time was a <laughs> yeah. little too much science. We got plenty of beaches here. We do. We would love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, uh, I posted a photo of our beach here on um, online and I noticed you very quickly um, had, a, had a look at it. Yeah, it looked good. It it did. It looked very, very nice. It's been beautiful down here as we're starting to to move out of winter. It's just um just awesome. Um so when you when you come over here and hopefully it won't be too long for to get you over and having a look at the reefs here, we so obviously we've got the Great Barrier Reef and it's interesting because you're talking about all different kinds of reef systems and we have so many different kinds of reef systems. We often talk about the Great Barrier Reef like it's one thing, but it's 3,000 different reefs. There's inshore reefs, offshore reefs. We've got some reefs that are incredibly pristine and some that are really degraded, have a lot of water quality issues and disease issues. And so breaking down those that network of reefs into those that can be kind of managed in more of a hands-off way, um, limiting things like fishing and, and actual damage to them. But then there's these other systems which are really close to to that phase shift to algae. Um, some of your research looks at things like probiotics and how we can treat sick and diseased corals and how we may be able to apply that in in some reef systems. Can you talk a little bit more about probiotics and, and what that concept is for reefs and for corals? Yeah. Yeah. So um, a probiotic is basically a blend of beneficial bacteria. Um, and so we've used these some in human medicine and have started to kind of think about these types of things. And so what we've been, what we've been doing is basically we, we take corals, we smash them up into a paste, um, we smear them on a plate, uh, an agar plate, and we let bacteria grow. Yeah. We then isolate those bacteria. So we pick out each individual colony and separate them. And then we screen all of those bacteria for functions that we think would be good for corals. Um, those functions include things like nitrogen fixation, um, uh, antagonism, basically competing against bad bacteria. Um, so out competing pathogens. Um, and there's some other things too. Antioxidant production is a big one. And so we screen these bacteria for these functions that we think should help corals. Um, the ones that pass the screen, we sequence them to make sure they're not something we know is bad. We don't want to give the coral back a, a bad bacteria. We put them all into a blend and then we give them back to the corals that they came from. And so far we've had kind of preliminarily, I think, good results that are showing that we can protect corals from certain stressors by giving them these beneficial bacterias. Um, so uh, I think the hallmark kind of case is giving them bacteria that help uh, them tolerate thermal stress. Yeah. And so that's one of the things we've been working on. But I think there's a lot of other interesting ideas along those lines. I've been thinking a fair about, about mucus transplants. So yeah. similar to the way people are doing fecal transplants in humans, yeah. if we can take mucus and enrich for bacteria and give these back to corals, um, as well as phage therapy, which so if, if you've never heard of a phage, a phage is a virus that only infects bacteria. And so we can use these viruses to target very specific bacteria and take them out and kind of re-engineer the, the holobiont of these corals. Uh, and the advantage is, is that if you use antibiotics, oftentimes they're going to kill everything. So you kind of just wipe it out. That's not really what we want. Um, but also 
we, uh, we don't develop antibiotic resistance and things like that. So we can take these phages, these viruses, and actually engineer the microbiome of these corals into a healthy microbiome. And so those are kind of some of the things I'm thinking about. Yeah. Um, I think they're interesting from both a potential um, restoration uh, and, uh, you know, kind of mitigation standpoint, but also there's a lot of fun games we can play with that and just mm-hmm. understanding the fundamental side science of corals and algae. Yeah, and how that really complex organism works. So uh, that's taking some pretty cutting-edge kind of medical theories and ideas and applying it into the the marine environment. That's that's really novel and and new and um, is really heavily influenced by some of the advances that are being made in medicine. Do you think that um, there's a potential that we could start trying out some of these and testing them in the wild in the near future? Yeah, so um, I think things like the mucosal, tra- the mucus transplants, potentially probiotics, I think that those are getting close to being able to try them in the, in the wild. Um, yeah. And if nothing else, we, I think we can at least use them in, in any sort of aquaculture that we do for corals and coral husbandry. Yeah. I mean, the aquaculture industry has shown us that probiotics, they work, they're good. Yeah. And, and it's also shown us that you, there's, it's scalable. You can produce enough of these bacteria if that's the goal to actually do something with them. Um, the, the phage therapy, um, I, I find whenever I talk mm-hmm. about this at meetings, people get really jazzed on it. And, um, they all want me to do phage therapy for corals until I explain to them once again, that that could involve genetically engineering a virus and releasing it into an ecosystem. And, you know, and and I think (laughs) Nathan just went a little pile. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So it sounds less, it sounds less cool or less good when you say it that way. Um, Actually, I had a guy recently ask me, he said, can you aerosolize phage over the reef? And I said, oh. we can definitely aerosolize viruses. Like, that <laughs> yeah. sounds like an even more horrible idea yeah, exactly. than just putting them in the water. Yeah, pandemic. Um, and, and actually, I, I think that that's actually um, kind of an important point on on where coral or where restoration is right now. I, some people are, I think, um, you know, they're really doing restoration. And I, I know it's like a good, they mean well, but I think that it should be not just restoration, but kind of restoration science Yeah, that we need to do restoration in a way that we can make sure we learn from it. And we make sure we're doing things that don't have off target effects that don't actually push these systems in a different state that could potentially be non-recoverable to where we want to go in the future. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, I think all these are, all these things are good intentions to dump a bunch of viruses on the reef. If I did it, I would mean well. Um, But I think we need to make sure we do the research to, to really, you know, do it right. And I also think that even when we do it in the wild, when we go and restore these reefs, we need to make sure we keep the data and, and look at it still as scientists and make sure that we're not just happy coral hugging hippies <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is nice but um but yeah in terrestrial systems that's what's happened right wherever people are managing um terrestrial parks or trying to restore things after bushfires or, or anything it, it is a science-based approach and um and it is about studying what works and what doesn't work because also in terrestrial systems there's a lot of examples of where what you're saying well-intentioned ideas that carry risk um, haven't worked out so well. And and I think that's something that people do worry about and are becoming more and more aware of is 
the risk when we intervene. Um, Australia doesn't know anything about that, right? No, 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 don't mention the cane toad. (laughs) (laughs) Cane toad, myxomatosis is a great one. Yep. Yeah, yeah. There's been um, a, a few well-intentioned opses, uh, definitely. In oh, terms definitely of have that. a feral cat problem as well. Yeah, yeah. It's like really bad. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you bring those in to get rid of the cane toads? Oh, uh, we did something, <laughs> and we got a can- uh, kangaroos as well. <laughs> Lots of kangaroos. Well, just they're supposed many. to be here. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, right. Exactly. I'll keep the kangaroos. Yeah, but um, yeah, probably not. Yeah, aerosoling viruses in a pandemic mm. is, is quite terrifying idea. You know, I don't think the aerosolizing viruses is the answer, but it's, it's also exciting that we're thinking that yeah. far out of the box yeah. um, that, that we're really, and I think some of these reef systems, I mean, I think they need it. Yeah. We, we are at a point where we've got to start thinking of new innovative, what may seem extreme um, ways to do things and ways to kind of fix the the issues at hand yeah i like that point because it's not like it's not one size fits all it's not all reefs are the same not all reefs are in the same state and there are places where the impacts and the degradation have been quite severe and it is a kind of getting to the point for those localized systems do you accept a different reality for the reef and that it's never going to be coral again and it's never going to go back to being the diverse system it used to be or do you try to rehabilitate the environment and restore something that we we want there, like a coral reef system that's there? And I think that's probably something that is really important in the discussion about interventions and probiotics and restoration is that we don't have to go with a one-size-fits-all approach. We can pick different things to work in different systems if we study them well and we understand what the threats are. I think that's becoming very apparent that it's it's not going to be this blanket fix that's like and corals are fixed. Um, it's it's going to take a while, and it's it's going to be. I think it, it reminds me a lot of personalized medicine, but on an ecological scale. We're going to have to collect data about these reefs and and very in a very informed manner go in and treat them to make to rehabilitate them. And this kind of what you were saying earlier made me think in another interesting really really interesting point to me is what are we actually aiming for? Like, what are we trying to restore? We're probably not going to restore the reefs to what they were, but if we restore them to something good, is that enough or is, is that okay? Or yeah, you kind of mentioned that like, yeah, do we just need to accept that these systems are going to be different and try to, you know, maintain that and, and help that? Or do we, try to push them back into the system they used to be. And, yeah, I think that's really important where people get involved, whether they're scientists or just people who use a reef or a marine environment, because that's really part, I think it's a really important part of the discussion is is what do we want those places to look like in the next five years, ten years, what do we want them to look like when our kids go there or take their kids there? Um, and it's really important that people get involved in that discussion about what they want for the future. What do you think the future holds for marine systems, particularly coral reefs? Um, I'd like to think the future holds um, thriving, healthy reefs that are, are yeah, continuing to build structure and, and you know, hopefully the, the far off future holds new island chains and new 
portions of land masses created by coral reefs. Um, cause that's what they're supposed to do. Uh, yeah. yeah so I'm, I'm optimistic. I, you know, I, I do recognize that things are bad, but I also think back, I mean, so the K, the, the KT boundary was a mass extinction event, right? One of the, one of the mass extinction events in history. And we lost from my understanding, a vast majority of the corals, especially the corals yeah. that we think of as being the corals we want. These, yeah. these corals that had um, the microalgae that live inside them, these corals that are hard and building reefs and building land masses. And we lost most of those once already, um, given it's been a very long time for them to recover. Yeah. I would prefer to think that um, my my species doesn't <laughs> kill off that, those um, you know, it's not our fault that there's another mass extinction, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But um, but I also recognize that I, I do think in the long run, I think corals will continue doing what they've done for a very long time. Um, and and I yeah. yeah, like I said, I'm hopefully optimistic. What do you want to ask people to do? What can what can they do? I mean, so if you live on a reef, use common sense and and also just you know don't try to cheat the game, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I I. Uh, I've also caught fish that I really wanted to take home and eat. But if, if, if the fisheries tell you not to, there's probably a reason. Um, Not that, you know, the fisheries should also continue to change their practices and, and, you know, evolve as well and make sure that they're doing the right things. But yeah, don't try to cheat the system and and use common sense and just be uh, a good person for the most part. Hmm. I mean, like I said, I've seen, I've seen too many people, you know, drinking a Budweiser, like I said, just pinballing from reef to reef. And it's, yeah, that's yeah. not cool. Yeah. What about people far away from reefs? They think, you know, who might think it's a problem that's, you know, way off in the distance and there's nothing that they can do. Um, they can still get involved. Is there anything else that you think that that those people should be should be doing? How can they steward better outcomes for reefs? Yeah, that's a complicated one. Yeah. Um so I think everyone's aware that that carbon inputs and these types of things are having an impact on the environment. Um, yeah, regardless of kind of what that impact is exactly and who's contributing what, um, that's, you know, that's a, a bigger argument, I think. But it's it's becoming really apparent that we we do have an impact on the kind of global system. And that's one thing that uh, moving between the lab where I did my PhD and the lab where I am currently has really shown me is where I did my PhD. We look at these local stressors. I'm looking at coral and algae right next to each other and, yeah. and how the carbon and the nutrients changes. And, and I mean, I just, I kept zooming in the whole time I was in that lab. So, you know, yeah. just deeper and deeper into the problem. And, and then when I moved into a, to the Gates lab, it was, it was definitely this big picture global, what are the global things that we can help fight? How do we, you know, what do we do with that? Um, and so I think that people do need to realize that there is globalization of, of everything at this point, right? I mean, we're socially globalized, economically globalized, and and I think uh, thermally globalized, um, you know, to bring it back to the thermodynamics, um, that's becoming apparent. And this, this can yield some major imbalances in the kind of, uh, in the biosphere on earth or right. That that is not a, yeah, it's not, not good. So I think that, you know, just kind of these practices that are, I think relatively new, I guess, of, you know, not leaving such a huge carbon footprint and thinking about where your food come from, comes from and and where your waste goes um, 
you know, it's not just reefs. It's, yeah. it's, it's the whole whole planet that I think needs a little of that. Yeah. yeah, and thinking about where, where your waste goes and where the things you, you take come from, um, which is interesting because you, you mentioned the Gates Lab and that's in Hawaii and you live in Hawaii and Hawaii is on the bucket list for most Australians, I think. There's a lot of people in Australia who want to go to Hawaii and and see how beautiful it is and see some of the reefs there. And for a lot of people in Australia, that might even be the first reef they ever see is, is in Hawaii. Um, what can people going to Hawaii do locally for people like you who are there working on those reefs? Yeah, so, I mean, definitely treat the reefs with respect um, and, uh, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, just generally treat the reefs with respect, but I think you can also make conscious decisions about the way you, you do your tourism. Um, there, there are companies in Hawaii that don't do good tourism, ecologically speaking, um, research how you're going to do your diving and your, your shark sighting and your whale watching, whatever you're going to do there, you know, make sure that you're going through, um, uh, a channel that does it in in a, in a good way, right? Um, and sometimes that's hard to figure out exactly. Um, but I think that that is one thing that people can do is just just be more conscious about you know how am I doing this and and what impact does me you know going and watching these whales have potentially is is it good is it not? Um, and don't get me wrong, I still I still want to go see the whales and <laughs> swim with the sharks too. So I think that people should do that because I think that those are amazing experiences. And, uh, that's what life's about is, is, you know, having those types of times, but, but do it in a respectful way that, um, shows good stewardship. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Dr. Ty Roach, thank you so much for talking to us today, telling us about your life, um, your sporting life and your marine life. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Deep Blue On My Doorstep podcast. Don't forget to check out our website at events.unsw.edu.au where you'll find all the photographs from this podcast series featuring the beautiful places that we've been discussing and the organisms found in these blue spaces. 